What's going on, everybody? This is Kyle here. Welcome to the You Know I Got Soul, So in Stereo podcast. We've got Ed and we've got Tom. What's going on, fellas? Boy, I am chilling. I'm surprised that Tom is in the house for like the second podcast in a row. Guys, K. Michelle's new album dropped last week. And I want to first off talk about her thank yous because this has been blowing up all over my Twitters. Apparently, she was going off on Atlantic Records in her thank yous. Which is like the craziest thing I've ever heard because the album was actually released on that label. But if you listen to the album, and we'll get more into the album in a second, she pretty much disses every human being breathing on that album. So it doesn't surprise me that she went off on her label. She has like an interlude where she's breaking up with her label, or like label suicide note or something like that if I remember. Yeah, it's definitely crazy, but did you guys get a chance to listen to the album? Because, uh, I mean, we love K. Michelle up, up, you know, on here with this podcast, and just, we've always supported her. I actually had a chance to listen to it, and I want to say it's probably, even though I know she doesn't like the album, and I think she's made it clear um, on numerous interviews, she kind of said some of the songs on the album, the label forced her to record, I think actually the lead single, the one that samples the Jay-Z record, Song Cry, she didn't even like that record at all, which is why there's no music video for it. But as I listen to the album, it's probably her second best album after her debut. Well, here's my thoughts on the album. And I struggle with K. Michelle with some of the same reasons and that I struggle with Tamar and a few more artists. And that K. Michelle is extremely talented. And if you listen to that album, there are some very, very, very good songs. I think there's this joint called Rounds that I just love. Like, she's got some bangers on the album. But the actual album construction, I'm not a fan. It was just overly long. And the one thing we need to get rid of in 2017 is these albums with 20-something tracks on them and half of them ain't saying nothing. So I think the album is too long. It's a little all over the place as far as styles. And if she had cut it by like eight tracks, tighten it up, she really would have had something. But in this era of let's give us more and quantity is over quality, I think that her fans will like it. But as an overall package, it's just a little too much and that hurts the presentation. But like you said, there's some bangers on it. I haven't got a chance to hear the the whole thing yet, but I almost wonder if the dissing the label is a publicity you know, way of getting about causing drama and stuff like that. She's known for drama. But I almost feel like these days you see people like August Alcina dissing their label. I sometimes wonder if, if the label asked them to do that just to cause a stir and create publicity, but I don't really know. No. But Kyle, you did tell me. No? No, I doubt it. I mean, it's been well documented that K. Michelle has been wanting to record a country album for the longest time and it seems every time she announces that her next album will be country it comes out and it's just another r&b album and this sort of falls into that although the latter part of the album you start hearing some of those country songs so i do believe that number one that this is probably k michelle's last album on atlantic and that she will fully dive into that country sound which i don't know who's really interested in that aside from k michelle i'm not sure if her audience wants that but i mean you know people are known to act out on instagram and i don't think it has anything to do with marketing they're just angry 
the skeptic in me, though, starts to lean a little bit towards Tom because I think that while some of these artists might be angry and be speaking out, I don't think that the label would necessarily squash it like they want to because they know with an artist that's kind of as outspoken, to say it nicely, as K. Michelle, that kind of adds to her personality and her following, and they know her followers love drama. So and they might kind of gas her up a little bit just to give it a little bit of publicity. Because in these days, as we said a thousand times on this podcast, you can't just produce promote your album by conventional means. And if people check out the album because they hear she's dissing the label, maybe that'll get a few more streams. I don't think that they're technically going out saying, hey, K. Michelle, call us garbage on Instagram. But if she does it, they might not have that much of a problem with it if it increases their streams. It's all about money to these guys. You line their pockets, they don't care. Well, there are a couple of great songs on the album. I'm not sure if she actually likes these songs, but there are a couple. Of, you know what? I'm going to say this. Some of her trap songs that she did, they weren't as bad as as you know, I would have expected, like, even the song with Chris Brown, it's not great, but it's not horrid by any chance, by, by any stretch, yeah, she, so. she does that kind of sound better and better justice than most people. I'm not really opposed to her doing that kind of stuff. And I gotta give a quick shout-out to Jeremiah, who is, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but he is probably the worst vocalist in R&B, he sounds like a cartoon oh, character. Oh my god. I gotta say it. Oh man. But he actually is on a song with K. Michelle. The song's called Takes Two. And sonically, it sounds amazing up until Jeremiah, Jeremiah's part. And once he gets on, it's like, man, he ruined it. And he did the same thing, I think, with the uh, the song with Seven Streeter and Ty Dolla. Once he got on it, it like killed the whole vibe. But Oh, please. Yeah. Ty Dolla did a good enough job of dragging that into the abyss, too. Don't put that all on Jeremiah. Oh, but, Jeremiah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I understand. I wouldn't say it was a sonic masterpiece or anything, but Jeremiah, ugh, I don't really get... Some artists I do not like, and I get the appeal. I think Cardi B is a joke, and y'all will light my mentions on fire, so go to E.T. Bowser and do what you do best. But I think she's terrible. But I understand the hype behind her because of her reality show backing. So that I get. But then there's like a Jeremiah that I don't understand at all. Because he doesn't, his hooks aren't good. They're catchy, but not like in a Thai dollar sign way catchy. I can see him. I don't get the appeal of that brother at all. And I like birthday sex, but ugh. Ed, you're such a hater. (laughs) True story. Well, obviously. <laughs> True story. Tom almost gave up on. Uh, he almost gave up on R and B when Birthday Sex came out. So, if he almost gave up on in two thousand nine, he had a long way to go because it was, the worst was yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> I won't deny that. Um, another song that I really liked on the album was a song called "Brain on Love," which was produced by Eric Hudson. So there are a handful of great songs on this project. They are. Uh, Tom, I gotta ask you though, as we go back to K. Michelle wanting to do a country album. Number one, and Ed, you can answer this as well. Are you mad at an artist if they want to genuinely go into, let's say, doing country music, but their fan base might not be into it? Are you mad at them if they try to bring their fan base to that sound? Because I'm not. Sh- I'll be honest with you. 
I don't really want to hear a K. Michelle country album. I want her to do that R&B. That's an interesting uh, topic. But you're asking me, a person who one of my favorite artists, Music Soul Child, went off and made hip-hop music. He made some different types of R&B. I don't know what you want to call the Purple Wonder Love album, but I don't knock him for doing for exploring his passions. I mean, really, I think the art form is supposed to be just that artists exploring what they're passionate about and doing what they feel, so I can't knock someone if it's not trendy or popular. Hmm. What about you? I mean, what about you, Ed? Uh, I struggle with this a little bit, too, because from the creative standpoint, I and I have been very vocal about this, I feel like it's unfair to... When, it, when we're talking about these artists, a lot of times they have this extreme creativity that we as fans can't understand. Like, we like a certain sound, and especially the sound, in most cases, the sound that made us fall in love with the artist, we want that sound all the time. If you had a flavor of ice cream that you just was like, oh, this makes me like ice cream, you will like ice cream because of that one flavor. So a lot of times with these artists, we want them to continue to give us what they fell in love with. But... That might not be where their passion is. They might want to branch out. They might want to try something new. They might want to experiment. So that's why, in theory, I'm never mad at stuff like The Hustle and the K. Michelle's wanting to do country and the Justin Timberlake's wanting to do country because this is a different way for them to creatively express themselves. And like we saw with Bruno Mars, sometimes you can switch lanes and it work and you can draw in new fans. But the selfish side of me doesn't want you to change from what I fell in love with at first. So, for me, I'm not mad at an artist who tries something new. And I do think it's unfair to be like, you sold out, because they are doing something different. But I only get frustrated when they do something new and they do it terribly. And then they get mad when the fans don't follow along with them. If you're going to do something cool... But make sure you give us quality. And if you can't do it well, stay in your lane. Damn. And imagine if she had kept that song she wrote for Keisha Cole and, and put it on her own album. It's, it would have fit, honestly. Yeah. What? Man. I, um, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> incapable? You don't like Incapable? It's a decent song. She she didn't write that song, did she? What, no, what, she what didn't. What are you talking about? Elijah Blake, <laughs> guys, Elijah Blake wrote that song. It just sounds like a K. Michelle song. Remember, we talked about this, Ed. Fa- stay, <laughs> stay with me here. Oh my god! Oh, you, your, your Jedi mind tricks almost worked on both of us. I was confused. It for did. A second. It did. It worked on both of you guys. That's <laughs> funny. Um, you know what though? Now that you guys talk about this and following your true passions, I think we all owe Usher an apology. He went off and explored his true passion with the glow stick EDM music, and we bashed him for it. And now K. Michelle gets oh, play the country it, please. music. Damn. Oh, no. You get no pass from me. Usher Raymond gets nothing. Ugh. You don't get a pass. You don't get a clean bill of health. You don't get anything. <laughs> Speaking of Usher, um, on his Instagram about a couple of days ago, I was looking at his Instagram, and he posted a picture with him. And Justin Timberlake in the studio, and I had to do like a double take because I couldn't believe my eyes. Like, why would Justin Timberlake and Usher be in the studio together? And my immediate response was, 
wow, that's great charity work by Justin Timberlake. But as oh, I thought God. about it more, <laughs> as I thought about it more and more, and I'm thinking, what if that's an actual collaboration? That would be kind of cool. I mean, I think it's like ten years too late, but it would be kind of cool. I mean, I wouldn't be mad at it. I know Justin Timberlake, Black Twitter, is supposed to hate him for. I don't want to get into that because then that'll be thirty minutes of me ranting. And, you know, we don't like Usher because Usher makes terrible music now. But at their best, that would be a dream collabo. So uh, I wouldn't be against it. I think we'd all welcome it at this point. I'm actually more curious though, to hear what Justin Timberlake's next project is going to sound like. Uh, in, a, in that interview that Timberland did when he revealed that he was uh, almost died, actually, he yeah. did mention that as a footnote that the Timberlake album was done, so I'm curious to hear what that sounds like. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be different uh, and, and unique, and we'll have to see what happens with that one. Um, can I uh, stop this podcast really quickly to give you guys a PSA from Chris Brown? This is straight from his Instagram, guys. He said, Why are you reading this guy's Instagram? Hold on. He said, attention, everyone. Don't stop streaming Heartbreak on a Full Moon. Keep buying and listening to the album. Let's make this album platinum. Are you guys down? <laughs> oh, my. So I hope every all those um, Team Breezy fans are all on, my, all on my timeline has kept that song playing endlessly for the past two months now because Cousin Chris told you to. Just turn on the stream. Don't listen to it. Just let it stream so he can go platinum. I think we're almost there, guys. We're almost there. Uh, Miguel's, <laughs> Miguel's numbers came out um, earlier in the week. He did about 40000 with stream, but based on pure album sales alone, pretty much just like everyone else, fifteen to 16000 um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not surprised by his, his album numbers because this era did kind of start off quiet. But Miguel's always been one of those artists that sells slowly over time and he eventually hits like gold so i'm pretty sure it'll be something similar for him this time around yeah Man, I, I would I, I, go, go ahead, ahead i was gonna say uh i can't help but think what if his fans had just put the the album on repeat on spotify and just left the house and <laughs> they even bothered listening he would have been platinum by now clearly the miguel fans aren't as dedicated as the breezy fans Go ahead, Ed. (laughs) Oh, player. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised by these numbers. They're kind of sobering, but we shouldn't be surprised. In 2017, they are what they are. And even though I love Miguel, I don't even remember that big of a... Like, there was a little bit of hype for this album, but it wasn't the buzz that we're used to. And I don't think that we can get the buzz that we're expecting in 2017. Will that change going forward? I don't know. But I think we've kind of hit this plateau where artists are really going to be where they are unless you have some ridiculous gimmick like Cousin Chris or some massive comeback like maybe a Justin Timberlake. I think pretty much the numbers we're seeing are going to be across the board for everybody. You know what? I think it's really interesting in terms of Miguel's career. I think his first – because this is how I used to – or this is how albums used to go, right? You would release an album – and the following album would be like a continuation of the first album with a little bit of progression. And then the third album would be a little more progression. I, like 
Usher's My Way album to 8701 to Confessions, it was a nice progression. With Miguel's albums, and I'm, I'm asking this because I'm curious to hear how you guys feel about this approach. From Kaleidoscope Dream to Wild Heart to this new album, War and Leisure, it's not necessarily a progression that we're seeing. It's just three different directions. How do you guys feel about that type of, um, I guess, decision-making by an artist? Because in some ways it does confuse the listener, but it's kind of cool to see that Miguel can dibble and dabble in different sounds. Yeah, it can be confusing, especially, again, when we talked a little bit earlier about fans who come on board like if you look at Miguel at maybe his creative and commercial peak and you look at Kaleidoscope Dream and as far as like critical acclaim if you came on board that and you heard the next two albums it sounds like a completely different artist so it can be jarring for some fans who came on board expecting a certain sound and getting something different but I always look at Miguel as sort of a prince. If you look at Prince's albums, they're the same way. They're like all over the place. They're not really, in when you look at them chronologically, they don't flow on a progression. Each one is like his own standalone movie instead of a sequel to a sequel to a sequel to a sequel. So it's not unheard of, but it's a different approach. And it's it's challenging, especially in this day and age when many fans don't like being challenged. But looking back, I mean, what do you guys think about Skywalker? I mean, we talk about Miguel was able to give the freedom to do what he wanted to do, but do you feel like that's something he really wanted to do? I think so. I mean, I... I like the song. I It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I get where you're going, that it might be a directive, like, hey, we want this, and it is the only song on the album that kind of sounds like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if the label was like, we need something for Urban Radio that Travis Scott guy on it. But, (laughs) again, he does it well enough that it doesn't bother me and it doesn't sound like a ridiculous pandering to some trap sound. So it it wouldn't shock me if he didn't want to do it, but he does it so well that if he didn't, he played it all well. And I think that's... Even lyrically? You're cool with it? No, lyrically, I think that's what makes it Miguel. The whole sky walking on these haters and all that, that's... There was another line on there that I thought was hilarious. It was something like, uh, she may be vegan, but she wants the steak tonight. Like, that's just Miguel being witty. And, like, that's that's just part of Miguel's artistry. I think the sound and the direction may have been forced upon on him, but he took that situation and made it his own, which, I mean, I can't be mad at that. I mean, even on songs that are Miguel-like, like, he had a Pineapple Sky song and a Banana Clip song. So, I think that's just Miguel and his lyrical content fair enough which by the way those two songs have the most ridiculous titles I've ever heard but they're both pretty good actually (laughs) it sounds like Rick Ross made them because the lord knows that man loves some fruit in his songs (laughs) Um, another album that I don't know did it come out yet in Jesse Boykins yes it did which is interesting because this album came out like a year ago and he got signed to Def Jam and they're releasing it on Def Jam now. That's that's definitely interesting, but um, Ed, I know you like the album, right? Well, I was talking to Tom before we hit play on the podcast and I hadn't realized that it was the earlier version of the album and I did. Like, I enjoyed the previous album. I didn't know it was the same one, but again, it's kind of not unheard of. I remember Ludacris, his debut album was just 
really like his kind of like unofficial mixtape album made into a major label debut. I think Bubble Sparks was the same way. So this happens occasionally when you have an independent artist signed to a major label. So it's not that shocking, but if you missed this album the first time around, it's a good chance to check it out, especially if you're a fan of his music. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, he did get signed. Not that he didn't deserve it, but he is not he's not very as young as some of the artists who are getting signed, and he's been around for a while, Def Jam major label. Uh, we've met him a, a few times. He's a good dude, but um, I think he put the album out for free last time around last year, so now he's trying to release it you know, with the proper platform. I see what he's doing, but I did find it interesting, but I'm happy for him. He's a good guy and uh, definitely very artistic and a unique artist. Yeah, absolutely. Now, i got to ask you guys, we were talking about this on Facebook earlier with our boy DJ Soulchild, so I'm going to ask you guys, who in R&B, or what in R&B, with only three letters to their name, is the best right now? The best three-letter artist in R&B right now? Yep. I have no idea. Well, I'll throw out some I mean, names. Who is the... I'll throw out some names, and then you guys can decide. So we have her. Okay. We have uh-huh. SZA. We have yeah. Nao. Man, and... they're more than I realized. And we have uh, NJS. <laughs> For life. For oh, life. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Um, so give you a little bit of backstory and this is actually pretty funny i was at work when i was reading all of this and i was dying but our boy dj Soulchild called us out because we weren't paying attention to nail who i actually like so i don't know where he got that idea that i don't listen to her tom oh yeah in fact yeah i said that i was, yeah. I was a fan I, I like nail but uh tom came into the uh came into the discussion and was just like Wow, I didn't know you would like Nao. It doesn't sound like New Jack Swing at all, or something like that. <laughs> so that yeah. was yeah. I give Tom props for that one. That, that was the biggest was low cool. blow ever. Every once in a while, he nails one. Right. Yeah, anyway, um, Nao. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say her is the best um, three-letter artist. I'm sorry. Nao. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm. Not, Nao. I'm not really into the internet, so I'm not really a fan. Come on. Wait. <laughs> oh, my. Oh my God. Wait, I guess we have Sid as Lady. well. She's, an, she's another three-letter na- name. Who? Sid. No idea what's going on here, guys. Oh, my God. Put down the cup, Tom. You're embarrassing yourself. Good Lord. Tom's all about that PWL, Purple Wonder Love. Oh. He would be. Listen, guys, we're on the cusp of a new Craig David album coming out in January, and we're talking about this kitty music. <laughs> kitty music? All right, all right, all right. Let's, let's relax here. Clearly, so this Craig man David has never is... listened to a Nao album. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, listeners, if you're out there, listen to Nao's album. What was Nao's last album called, Ed? Put you on the spot right here. Um, Crap, I can't remember. I, can, I think it's called, like, For All We Know, something like that. Yeah, it was so memorable that no one has any idea. That's interesting. 
No, it is, it's definitely called for all we know. The only really the thing that stood out to me about Nail's concert when I went last year was that she was like walking around the stage barefooted and like spinning around. And I didn't know whether that would be something that Ed likes or not because he likes watching artists perform barefooted. But um, uh, what? <laughs> now you somehow do. Kyle has commandeered Tom's coat. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I want all the listeners to check out Nail's album for all we know. It was actually a really good album. Had that it throwback sound album. to it. It was a good album. I, I will listen to your boy and album. not these these eggnog sucking weirdos here. But the album was actually <laughs> oh, good. It was wow. was it last year or year before last? But no, it was, it was a last solid year. piece of work. It was so, definitely last yes, year. I definitely co-signed it. Yeah, we uh we don't know the name of the album when it came out. We just know it was good. <laughs> well, Says the man that hasn't even heard the album. Go! <laughs> oh my god! He's <laughs> got purple wonder love on his hard drive, trying to critique an album of actual substance. My God, what have we become? Actually, Ed, I forgot to tell you. Uh, Tom said on the uh, said in our chat earlier that. Uh, Due to the lack of quality in R&B today, Boyfriend by Boyfriend Number Two by Pleasure P is now considered a modern day classic. So, and I agree. So there you have it. Yeah, you would agree with that because you're <laughs> trying to get in back good with that guy now that you're friends again. That's my dog. Shout out Anyways. to Pleasure P because. <laughs> Uh, okay, back on topic here. Um, another album. So we mentioned Craig David is coming out in January. I want to talk about this artist. We haven't really talked about her too much, but she was once and might still be considered one of the young stars that could make it, and that's Justine Skye. Her album, debut album, Ultraviolet, comes out in January, and she's been on the scene and trying to make it for a minute now. Could this be her time? She's interesting because I feel like she was where Gabby was before her her transformation a few years back. She was this talented artist that just... Had good songs. Seemed to have everything together. Seemed a little bit like she missed the the era. If she had come along 10 years ago, it would be Bonafide Star. But just seems to have trouble kind of finding her footing in recent years. So perhaps this will be an opportunity for her to get out there and drop something monumental. Pretty much every year, she has songs that lands on our best tracks of the year countdown. So she's got the has the skills to do it, has the material behind her. So it's all she needs is a push and a sustained album to really push that message. So she's got the tools. Let me see what she builds with them. It's interesting, actually. She's still pretty young. I think she's only about 21 at this point, and she has a fan base. But the interesting thing to me is she never kind of went overly trendy. And it's at the point where I actually, I actually like her music. You know, it's kind of rooted in traditional R&B. And um, I almost wonder if that's held her back, where she didn't fully, quote-unquote, sell out to this point. So I don't I don't know how well it's going to do. I'm curious to see, but I'm rooting for her. She's cool, and uh, she's made good music. I mean, her latest single that's out now is pretty cool, too. So we'll just have to see, I guess. Well, Tom, the good news is there's not a lot of features on this project, which is pretty interesting for a R&B album, especially uh, one that's coming from somebody of her age. She only has Jeremiah as her feature, and if Jeremiah is your feature, 
when when we have the Migos and all of those guys, then it's not too bad. Um, good news, Ed. There's a song written by Party Next Door on the album. You like him? Mm-hmm. Oh, you and your Canadian brethren, you can go somewhere. Except <laughs> we can keep um, Deborah Cox though. You can have the rest of them. And Tamia. Oh yes, man. And Melanie Fiona, y'all. Yeah, Melanie Fiona. Tom, should we keep Glenn Lewis? Oh, we're keeping. Tom's Glenn keeping Lewis. Glenn Lewis. I'll have those three locked in my house, and Tom will have that one. <laughs> oh, come on! Don't forget to consider uh, his album with Jazzy Jeff for albums of the year, Ed. Just well, player, uh, don't worry because I can. Well, I won't guarantee, but it's very likely that will make a showing. Speaking of that, we'll be talking about that very soon. Absolutely. Um, is it ignorant for me to believe that Justine Skye and Kiki Palmer are the same person, musically? Oh, yes. Good lord. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry. Because Kiki Palmer's another one that's been trying to make it for a minute. Kiki Palmer is nothing like Justine Skye. Oh. Musically? Yeah, that's like confusing genuine with... Good lord, I don't even know. Calvin Avery Richardson. Storm or somebody. Avery Storm? Wow. Shout out to Avery Storm. Anywho, uh, we're talking about a lot of the albums that are coming out next year. Craig David, uh, Justine Sky, and we just talked about one that came out last week, or and the week before it came to show on Miguel, but let's talk about some of the albums that we really liked from 2017. I mean, there's so many that come to mind, and it was it was an interesting year for R&B, I think. We started to see a lot of the younger artists or more younger artists going back to that traditional sound from the likes of like a Kevin Ross to Tone Stith who came out with a great project. Um, I guess overall, what did you guys think of 2017 albums? Uh, that noise I made is pretty much how I thought about R&B in 2017. Um, as I've been working on my list of best projects of the year, I have... Spent to last week and a half kind of compiling. I can't remember. I don't have my list in front of me. But I think I listened to 111 albums this year. I've got them all chronicled. And I had to say most years R&B destroys hip-hop. But this is one of the first years that hip-hop was pretty solid. And R&B was not horrible. But it was a lot of just okay material. There was a lot of three-star and and three-and-a-half-star albums. Just a lot of so-so stuff. And that was disappointing. But like you said, Kyle, there were a lot of younger artists who really stepped up and kind of pushed their music to the front forefront. And we saw a lot of returning veterans come through and shut it down like we know they could. So, whereas it wasn't as strong as it... It wasn't a disastrous year. It wasn't as strong as it looked on paper. But it was still some opportunity for some old faces, especially, to come back and shine. For me, it was, it was just solid. Coming from the perspective of, you know, I got soul. We supported a lot of 90s artists and traditional R&B singers. It was just a solid year, I thought. But I pretty much expected that at this point. I mean, we're not getting anything that's changing the game from these artists or mind-blowing. We're getting some songs that are great, but the albums, for the most part, for me, have just been solid. And I'm okay with that, where we're at in 2017. But what did you think, Kyle? I mean, realistically, it's, it, it is kind of sad because 
I mean, we don't talk about it, but at this point, if an album has at least or has four good songs on it, we kind of consider that a good album now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I want everyone to think about it, but it's really, it's true, right? If there's at least four good songs, we're okay with that. And that wasn't what it used to be before. We used to, like Ed, critique albums based on the entire project, but it's kind of hard to do that now. But in terms of albums that came out this year, I thought it was a very interesting mix. You know, you had artists going towards more of that trap sound and having it sound awful, like Tank. Oh, Um, Oh, my goodness. Um, We had artists that came in and just tried to bring back that traditional sound, like I said, like Tone Stiff, but with a modern touch to it. And then we had guys like, we had artists like 112 that I think it it was a welcomed addition to have them back. So I can't really say for sure how I felt about this year because I'd definitely have to look back and see how it was. But overall, I thought it was was solid. Um, And, you know, so many albums that come to mind, but what were some of your favorites? Um, Like for me, I just mentioned Tone Stiff is one that I think really stood out. And I think, Ed, you can agree with me on that one? Definitely, definitely agree with you on that one. And actually, Kyle put me on to that. So look at you, Kyle, for putting me on to something hot. Um, that would definitely probably make my top ten for R&B this year. Um, my favorite project, if we're talking about R&B, would probably either be between Avery Sunshine and Daniel Seeler. And they're both extremely different sounds because you kind of got the traditional vocalist that Avery is compared to Daniel Caesar's a little bit more understated, but I thought both those projects were outstanding in different ways. So those were probably my two favorites of the year. Wait, did you just call a Canadian brother of mine understated? I think he's a pretty talented vocalist. (laughs) How dare you? He makes good music, but I don't want him singing the Star Spangled Banner anytime soon. Oh, God. Oh. Well, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be. He sings O Canada. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, you can continue. I'm going I'm to throw one out there who I thought had a really good album. And he was recognized. Let me guess. A... No, no. Let me guess. No, no, I'm going. Are we feeling, are we feeling the real, Tom? <laughs> We're not feeling the real just yet. We got to okay. give some, some Ed some time to warm up to that one. We're going to go with P.J. Morton, who released Gumbo this year. And uh, I felt like this one was overlooked big time, and it got Grammy nominated. And uh, I believe you like this one too, Ed. But really, this is a really talented artist who doesn't really get the attention he deserves. He's part of Maroon 5 and just keeps making quality music. Definitely agree. He was one of those albums. It was one of those albums that unfortunately kind of came and went. People were hyped about for a couple weeks, and then you just didn't hear it mentioned again. But it was it was one of the better albums of the year, especially early in the year when we really didn't have too much strong material out. So he was definitely high on my list. Another person I forgot is high on my list. My man Stokely Williams. Now this is his first mm. solo album, mm. which is insane to think about with his career being as long and storied as it is. But we had high expectations and he came through with a banger. So again, Stokely, one of the best ones of the year. And I feel like that's another album that should have gotten much more attention than it did. Absolutely. Um, 
Another album. Let me try to think here. I think you know what? I gotta give a quick shout out to Kevin Ross, who put who put together just a solid, solid, solid album. Really, you know, obviously, Long Song Away hit number one, but I think he just came with a project and proved that a, a younger artist could come with a mature sound. And I think him going into that urban AC route early on in his career allows him to have. I mean, just a stable and longer career moving forward, and I think it was a very well put together album. So, that would be one of my top tens. The thing I liked so, about his album and the reception of his album is just and his singles. It was so well received, and I was surprised to see younger fans really gravitating toward it. And it proved to me when people are like, "Oh, that's old people's music. Oh, no one cares about that. The kids just want to turn up." No, kids like good music, and I have a lot of younger fans across my timelines who are really into Kevin Ross. So it shows that there's a little bit of gas in the tank there. I'm going to mention uh, Lettuce's album this year. And what's significant about this is, I mean, I know a couple months ago when she released High, and I was a little critical of it, and I didn't know what to expect from this album. But, man, she came with another, another quality project. You know, it was solid from top to bottom. I really liked it. So, let us see. You know, she never disappoints. And that's what I'd like to highlight. Although, I will say, and a lot of people remind me of this, because they're like, oh, you hated the album. I didn't hate the album. I liked it. I didn't think it was as good as her previous projects. So, it was a little, I don't know, it felt like a little too safe, which is weird to say when you had a single as daring as High was. But I felt the overall project was... You know, just a legacy project, but just safe legacy is better than turned up pretty much everybody else. So I think that it was a success on that end. But to go on that point a little bit, I think Layla Hathaway is an artist who kind of went out of her lane a little bit and to great success. I really like her honesty album. I want to mention two albums really quickly. One just for the sake that we don't get killed and uh, the other one just because I feel like he deserves a shout out for putting together a pretty solid album I don't think it's going to make our top 10 but he surprised me with this one that was Sammy coming of age Ed you and I were both you know every week it seemed like he was putting out a fire single and we were like what's the rest of the album going to sound like unfortunately it fell a little short but there are a, a lot of good songs on there you are right. We've been working on our top 50 lists individually for the year, and I just added a couple Sammy songs on my list because, like you said, the singles were really surprisingly good. The overall package was okay, kind of fell in that K. Michelle role where it's kind of front-loaded with good stuff and kind of peters out before the end, but there was definitely some stuff there worthy of your speakers. And it's actually hilarious that you used that description for Sammy because I was just going to make a mention of this album because I know a lot of people are going to come for us. But Mary J. Blige, Strength of a Woman, very great front, great from one to seven, sort of dies off near the end of it. But, I mean, it was a good album. A lot of people are mad that it didn't get Grammy nominated. A lot of people are calling it Album of the Year. I don't think it was that, but it did have a lot of good songs on there. A lot so of people I need have to calm make a mention. Down. <laughs> Good lord. I mean, I, I'm it's with you. I like the album a lot. And I think that, at least on my end of the spectrum, on Soul and Stereo, it got a lot of mixed reviews. A lot of people thought that I kind of overrated it because the reaction on my site was like, yeah, it's okay, but it's not Mary. But I think, 
I mean, if you compare it to my life and share my world, of course it's not that great. But as a standalone project, it was one of the better albums of the year. I don't know that I put it in my top 10 for R&B, but it was definitely top 15. Another one I want to mention is Daily. The Spectrum, his sophomore album, came out this year. And I I keep feeling like a lot of the best music in R&B right now is coming, especially for traditional R&B fans, is coming from the U.K., you know, this kid's from the U.K., and his second album was, you know, kind of picked up where his first one left off. Really solid, vocally impressive, and it didn't disappoint at all. Um, his first single, Until the Pain is Gone, with Jill Scott, was a, was a cool song. So, I like my that God, one. My yes. Probably one of my favorite singles of the year. Yep, I think we all love that one. Wait, is it Nail from the U.K. as well, Tom? <laughs> the internet is from the U.K.? Oh, my God. Stop. Next question, please. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Um, 112, I'm not going to put it in my top 10, but it had some good songs on there, and I was happy to see them back. Um, I want to quickly, if we can, what was the worst R&B album of 2017, or the one that had you most disappointed? Oh, boy. Do we really have to go there? I, I'm ready if well, you are. We can either do that, or you can have your five minute about um, feel the real. All right, I got it. I got it. I got it. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm a big supporter, but man, I was so disappointed with Jagged Edge's album. I couldn't oh. even. Ding, ding, I, ding! There is your winner. I couldn't even. Oh. I couldn't even get through it. I'm sorry. Listen, was, player. I, I, I told y'all. I listened to well over 100 albums this year. That includes 21 Savage. That includes Meek Mill. That includes these weirdos that I can't even pronounce their name. The XXX Tent Action, whatever his name is. Jagged Edge was the worst album I have listened to in 2017. If you got, if fans are listening right now, that was at E.T. Bowser. Jagged Edge, we love you! (laughs) (laughs) J.E. fans already been mad, so... Come on and camp out. Bring your Black Friday chairs in front of Best Buy. Camp on out in the mentions. And shoot, since we're all just curb stomping Jagged Edge right now, I'm just going to put it out there. You could have taken the 12 worst songs off that 45-song Chris Brown album, and it would still be better than the Jagged Edge album. Oh, Lord. I don't know if I'll go that far. Because Cousin Chris had some <laughs> bombs on that thing. Woo. Uh Hell's an automobile, man. That's way better than any Jagged Edge song. Unfortunately, he's right. <laughs> um, and I guess, no surprise to any of us, another disappointing album. I wouldn't call it the worst album of 2017, but Tank's Savage album. I feel like we're at that point now where we we should just expect this type of music from Tank. So maybe, maybe it's not bad or disappointing, but I think we're going into it with too many uh, expectations of it being traditional R&B. Well, and I went on a rant about this. I think this was one of Tomless podcasts where I went crazy, so Tom wasn't around to rein me in. But yeah, I mean, at this point, Tank has told us what he's going to do. Like, that's what he's going to do. So we can't get mad when he's going to do it. So, just accept that we're going to hear a whole lot more when we's than we're going to hear slowly. And that's where we are. Oh, I totally forgot. I have another album that I kind of want to mention as one of our 
better R&B albums of the year. I'd have to look back to see where it lands, but I've been listening to this album a lot recently just because I saw her in concert, and that was Janae Aiko. Let me just say first off that she is the most boring performing performer I've ever heard. <laughs> you but don't say. It, w- it, was, it was pretty boring. I think... I want to say it's just her vocally, and like she's not necessarily a strong vocalist, and like most of her music is very vibe-driven, but that was very slow and boring but the album i thought was very solid it was a little too long but it had a lot of good songs on there a little too long that thing was longer than the Medea christmas movie good lord that thing was like <laughs> 95 minutes or something ridiculous but again yeah. i don't know why we have come to this place in 2017 where we have to have these gigantic mammoth albums if that album was 12 tracks it would have been fantastic it would have definitely been in my top 10 and it's not too far out of my top ten. Like you said, it was a, it had a good premise and there were good songs, but for some reason the art of editing albums no longer exists, and there's nobody around to tell these artists, hey, you might want to cut out tracks thirteen through forty-seven, dog. <laughs> yep. Can I, can I just name a couple more so we don't forget anyone? I sure. want to. These not, might not necessarily end up in our top ten, but they had solid projects. I want to say Eric Roberson, his three-part EP series that he put out, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vivian Green with her album this year. Yes, uh, VG6. Yes. Uh, Faith that Evans and, and Biggie. I, yep. I, that one was solid. Uh, and Molly. Uh, hold on. Faith, nah, I don't know about that Faith album. I thought it was pretty creative, and I thought it was enough nah. to keep you know those who you knew what it was going to be i mean i mean ed what do you think well the problem with the faith album is it's one of those albums that i want to like because i am such a huge fan of biggie such a huge fan of faith and conceptually i love the album the the way it kind of told the story from them meeting to dating to marrying to cheating to death it was from conceptually it's one of the best albums of the year it's just the issue with cutting up those old vocals and slapping them on new vocals. It just feels choppy because, of course, it is. So I don't think it was horrible, as Kyle is saying. But, I mean, definitely could could have been better. But I give them props for the creative direction. I'm not mad at Tom for this one. We're talking honorable and mention I, here. so Yeah, yeah. honorable mention. And Ed, i got to give you some props. Ed, I gotta give you some props because you've managed to go this whole feature without talking about Tom's two worst enemies, Keisha Cole and SZA. <laughs> oh my wow. goodness. Now, SZA is like, I didn't even mention SZA because Tom, of course. Keisha, shout out to Keisha. We all remember the Keisha incident from a few months ago where she got pissed at me and then loved me in the span of like 10 minutes on Twitter. But... I thought her album was better than most people give her credit for, but not really top ten worthy. Thought it had some good songs on it, definitely. Guys, I haven't had a chance to listen to the Sizzler album yet, so once I do, then we can discuss. Somebody cut this guy's mic. (laughs) (laughs) And while we're at it, while we're at it, let me just go ahead and give Tom props. His boy, music. His boy, Glenn Lewis, both dropped pretty great projects this year that will most likely 
land on my top albums of the year. I give you credit for that. Woo! All right, but is but is credit enough to win Music Soul Child his first Grammy? Time will tell because Tom might be off the podcast soon. Might happen. Oh, I'm counting the days, player. Your your days is numbered, though. <laughs> I oh, hope you have Barry Bars on speed, though. Listen, I'll call up Barry with special guest Case, and we'll be good to go. <laughs> case. Anyways, I think that pretty much wraps up this year's albums that we really liked. Stay tuned in a couple of weeks when we publish the list as well as our best songs of the year. Um, Be interested to see what everyone else thinks. But until then, let's get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, this has been a a feature that we've kind of skipped over a couple of times. And uh, last week we brought brought it back. We got Usher into the Hall of Fame. Ed, I'll leave it to you. I'm going to throw you on the spot. Name somebody that you think should be talked about on this Hall of Fame discussion. Well, I need to check the archives because one of our podcast listeners hit me up a couple weeks ago and said that we had never nominated Mary J. Blige. Is that true? This is true. Well, let's do Mary J. Since apparently we left her off. We were talking about her earlier today. But, I mean, what can you say about Mary J that hasn't already been said? Who's Mary J. Blige, Ed? Tell, tell us. I don't think these R&B fans know. If they are dumb enough to be listening to this podcast and not know the queen of hip-hop soul, please educate yourself because you need help. Mary J came up in this game 1992. I still remember. There are a few artists where, that you can remember where you were when you first heard a song. And to this day, I remember when I first heard Real Love and was like, what is this? But she came in completely changed the game in 92 and then just built upon her legacy with my life and share my world and marry and became one of the flag bearers for R&B. But as most legends do in later years, their careers kind of took a dip, kind of took a nosedive. But does that take away from the artistry that they gave us with the, plethora of five-star albums. I would give My Life and Share My World five stars, and a couple others get super close. And classic songs all over the place. A first ballot, no-brainer Hall of Famer to me. But, what do y'all think? Well, did Monica make it in or no? Are you comparing Monica to Mary J. Blige? (laughs) Just kidding, guys. Mary J is in. Come on, there's no being discussion on this one. Let's move to the next one. Well, I just want to make a quick point that um, as Ed mentioned when he first heard Mary J's music, what did you say, Ed? What is that? Yes. See, that brought me in, in sort of a flashback, but I remember the first time I saw the music video for Always on Time and I saw Ashanti. I was like, who is that? So... Um, similar, Ashanti and Mary J are both the. the Honestly, I'm pretty sure I said the same thing when I saw her. I was like, "Who is that in that hat?" Lord. But then she started singing, and I was like, "Oh, okay. You were oh, better when you were oh. singing." Oh, but uh, yes, Mary J is definitely in the Hall of Fame. I mean, the first three albums. What can you say? The first two album itself, like you made my life and what's the four one one? Like what else? do you need to say she came back in the mid 2000s with the breakthrough album and that itself that's like a classic in the 2000s 
yeah. Me Without You is one of the biggest one of the biggest songs of the 2000s. So it's interesting though. Like she never really crossed over to pop. Like a lot of her, um, a lot of the people that she came up with, like Tony Braxton and Mariah Carey, but. She's had such a huge following in R&B that there's no way you could deny her impact at all. Yeah, I, I, maybe the closest that crossed over was that dancer and the hateration and the dancery, whatever that song was. <laughs> like that might have been the closest. But you're right; she pretty much has always stayed in the R&B lane and has lived up to her name of the queen of hip hop R&B. So, absolutely. Um. We will continue this Hall of Fame discussion next week as we have gone over time. But, Ed, what's going on with SoInStereo.com? Well, if you've been following us, you know that all month long we have been focusing on our Christmas playlist. So each day our listeners have, um, our readers have been contributing to songs. So we're up to day 11 as of this podcast. So. The list is getting pretty lengthy, and people are really filling the list. So shout out to everybody who has contributed, and shout out to our readers for not just picking like, you know, the Donny Hathaways and the Temptations. They're picking kind of obscure songs that even I haven't heard that are pretty freaking awesome. So if you missed the podcast, I mean, the playlist, just check out soulandstereo.com every day because there's going to be a new song leading up to Christmas. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, um, our top albums of the year list will be coming out pretty soon. I am hoping to have that up by next Monday. I'm waiting for this NERD and Eminem to drop so I can see if they need to be included. One probably will, prob- one probably will not, and I'll leave you to guess which one is which. But that'll probably be up pretty soon. Ed, are you taking uh, suggestions for your list or for your uh, Christmas countdown? Mm-hmm. I got a couple more spots left. All right, put Ill Town Family, Real Christmas. Ill Town Family, Real Christmas. You ever hear of it? No. What is this? It's when KG from Naughty by Nature launched his label. Their first video ever was a Christmas song. It was the first appearance from Next. The second the, I put in Ill Town, the whole thing popped up. So I do not there remember this song, but I'm going to check for it. Check it out. Wow, look at that. And while you're at it, you can put the two Ashanti Christmas albums on there. <laughs> I am not putting that hot garbage on my list. We went over this last week. All right, all right. Tom, what's going on with You Know I Got So? I think you just put out a, an article recently of 10 artists to watch out for. Yes, oh, I saw yeah. that. Uh, we got reached out to by uh, a UK uh, radio host, DJ Ace, and his publicist, uh, who uh, picked out some artists we should watch out for. And uh, actually, I had never heard of any of them, but they're actually all really good. So uh, if you haven't checked out that article, be sure to check it out. That's a pretty cool feature. Uh, Kyle, I know you've been at uh, a whole bunch of shows and stuff lately. Yeah, I've decided that I'm going to branch out and uh, start covering turn-up music. So I got bored and interviewed someone from Little Yachty's uh, sailing team. I interviewed Cody Shane. Um, and that was like the most interesting interview I've ever been a part of because she's like 18 and I was trying to act cool around an 18 year old and it just wasn't happening. Um, she's actually the little sister of Brandy from the group Black, which I thought was kind of cool. She was telling me that she has pictures of like her and left eye when she was a baby. So 
I think that was kind of cool. Um, the next interview that I have coming up, and I'm really excited about this one, and Ed had kind of hinted at it, at it earlier, I will be interviewing my BFF, Pleasure P, along with his group, Pretty Ricky. I can't wait for that one because let me give you guys some backstory. If this was 2009 and I told Tom I was interviewing Pretty Ricky, he would have shut that down so fast. <laughs> As he should Not have. True. <laughs> but, but now it's okay? Yep, because R&B is struggling, so even Pretty Ricky is considered <laughs> gods in R&B. Oh my god, when Spectacular is up there with the five best artists in the game, something went wrong. <laughs> Speaking of concerts, on, though, I think I forgot to tell you, Kyle, um, we checked out the Janet Jackson State of the World concert on Saturday, and it was freaking good. I was kind of surprised at how great it was. Was she singing live? She was, right? She was. I mean, it's Janet, so it was a lot of whispering going on, but that ain't <laughs> oh changed. But, it's, I mean, this lady is 50 years old and was killing those dance moves. I was quite impressed. It was a very good show. Damn. Brought back brought back Ed to middle school. Look at that. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to break your legs like we were in middle school. <laughs> Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm just going to end it off with this on this podcast. I don't actually know the song Rhythm Nation, so there you go. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Please send your tweets to you know I got sold. <laughs> you are going to get massacred, but, player. But thankfully for great technology like Spotify, I will find out what that song is right after this podcast. Oh, Anyways, I hope everyone has a. <laughs> I hope everyone has a great week. Um, I'm not. Are we back next week, guys? I know the holidays are coming around. I think uh, it depends on Ed's schedule. I think he's going to be going back to uh, South Carolina. <laughs> I am going back to the motherland of Virginia, hometown of Missy Elliott, who you should be worshiping as a goddess, by the way. P-Town, <sighs> Virginia. So I will be seeing my P-Town people in the next week or so. So I will be going to check them out. So, I'm not sure what we'll do. You guys might have to hold it down without me. And Lord knows, you two, there'll be no one on the steering wheel. They can go <laughs> right off the cliff. Wait, at your uh, Christmas dinner, will Cousin Chris be attending? Or oh, maybe even Magoo? <laughs> Magoo. I will always save a plate for Magoo. But wow. the family that Cousin Chris is a part of, they aren't coming down. They're going to be up in um, Northern Virginia, so... We're having Christmas at my parents' house, so no cousin Wait, Chris. I'm actually, I'm actually curious. Ed, this 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 family that's related to uh, Chris Brown are they like really well off, or are they like outcasts in the Chris Brown like will? Well, I don't know what their four hundred one ks look like. I mean, they're not poor, but I, I don't come rolling up in there and like stretch benzes. Like they, I'm sure they're doing all right. Damn. I can't wait till one day you see pills and automobiles just rolling through your house and it's Chris Brown <laughs> coming out of the car. I cannot wait for that day. It's probably going to happen and it's going to be all bad. But until that day, immediately, I'm still run my mouth. Immediately, I can hear it now. Immediately, Chris is going to be like, I hear you've been talking trash about me on that. You know I got so-and-so <laughs> serial podcast. <laughs> oh, it's good, ugly. It'll be bad. Oh, no. I mean, I can't lie. I'm like, yeah. One interview? 
Well, Ed, Tom, I hope you guys have a great holiday. I'm sure we'll be back next week. So I hope you guys have a good time doing whatever you guys are doing. I'm going to be here following what Chris Brown is saying and just continue streaming that album, getting it to <laughs> platinum status. Until then, though, I will see all of you guys next week. Take care. Peace. Peace.